Sonic States. What's Hello and welcome to everybody. This is um, Sonic Talk number 96. Um, it's going live on Thursday, the 28th of August, coming up to the end of the summer um and i've got we've got a full team today we've got uh, two people from across the the pond and two people from this side of the pond so let's start with pj because uh, i expect pj's probably got up the earliest so uh, pj tracy from minneapolis how you doing pj i'm doing very well nick jolly good uh, am i am i detecting the lovely new sound of the the new acoustic of your your studio complete with wall hangings and all that sort of stuff unfortunately no wall hangings yet uh still need to get the faux finishing team in here so as soon as we uh, okay. as soon as we get all the paint up on the walls then uh then all the external treatment will go up and that will be that but it actually it sounds quite a bit better in here than it did uh four months ago that's for sure well if it's anything like my house uh, we'll still be having this conversation in about eight to ten years <laughs> yep we most likely will <laughs> okay well thanks for joining us pj rich hilton from connecticut uh, fresh back from creamfields uh where you did another gig with um chic nile rogers and the gang how yep. was it because it rained where i was it was muddy uh the day we played it did not rain we had sunny skies i like it but all around it apparently it did because it was an uh, they should have changed the name of that thing to mudfields yeah <laughs> Creamy mud fields. Right. Yeah, it was some deep, deep divots coming in. But uh, it was great. Good fun. And then the best part of it was getting to meet Dave Spears. Ah, of course, because that's another, another virtual member of the gang who you've not actually physically exchanged the same airspace as, is it? Well, now we have. Did uh, Dave introduce you into, into, any, um, into any obscure English beers? Or uh, I guess, would you have Boddington's in Manchester, no. wouldn't you? No, nah, they didn't. They had some pretty lame offerings at the hotel, and we didn't really find time between us to spend at a place where they might have something better. Oh, wow. I did. I did spend some time without Dave in the place that served something better, but the hotel <laughs> was kind of grim from the gear <laughs> standpoint. So it was a good gig. Yeah, yeah, it's good fun. I had I, a great time. I, I was very touched by the photo you sent. Uh, yeah, I, I'm as anyone who's a regular listener. Um, every time Rich does a gig, I challenge someone to stand in the audience with a Sonic State or Sonic Talk kind of banner or placard so that we can we can prove and and mr dave spears who i'll introduce next from g4 software was that man i've seen the photos i've seen a photo of you holding up the holding up the banner i think rich you took the photo from the stage uh, uh, and in the background there's a line of gentlemen um urinating against a hard surface it's very it's, it's beautiful <laughs> uh, in true festival well, style it kind of summed up the day really well, <laughs> not from what I hear. I heard Rich played a blinder. It was a blinder. And in fact, I introduced Rich to that very phrase. It's true. Ah, some new, what would we call it? Colloquialisms. Is that, is that the right kind of term? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I forgot to mention, of course, Rich Hilton, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius and Dave Spears from G4 Software, g4software.com. So Dave, it was a good trip. I, the Underworld boys are playing as well. And you had kind of, did, did, were you working or were you just hanging out and glad handing and, you know, just kind of enjoying the, enjoying the company? Yeah, I had a lot of people to see, so it was a really good, good full-on social day for me, which made a change, and it was very good actually. I really enjoyed the day. So, do you go to these things with a bag, with a sort of bag full of NFRs? No, I did go with a sort of top secret something, but actually, it was a complete nightmare because they wouldn't let me in with my with a particular pass because they wouldn't let any artist pass out in advance for fear of counterfeiting them or something so i ended up having to leave my bag with a mate and then go run off run around get the artist pass come back rescue him skulk our way past security and the sniffer dogs and uh, <laughs> get into the gig really by which time rich was playing and we could hear it and i was like come on come on come on we gotta get over there get the banner unfurled <laughs> it's just done <laughs> and, uh, yeah it was really very very funny because rich rang me in the mornings to say it's a mud bath and i was explaining the whole you know you saying about the banner thing to my missus who said well i'll make you a banner oh she, she thank did you, immediately Liz. brilliant i don't know rich have you ever been to glastonbury on a muddy year i've not been to glastonbury on a dry year well i don't know how muddy creamfields was but i i suspect that glastonbury has has it beat by a long chalk it's probably i don't know how many how many people go to creamfields to be honest, think, it was it was quite quiet, wasn't it? Really, yeah. really. I guess the yeah, weather. I, un I understand that attendance was down this year from previous years, 
But then this was also the first year they had it across two days, if I understand correctly. Right. So the same amount of people over two. I think, to be honest, I know I've been banging on about it every week, but it's still going on. I mean, it's the weather. The weather is so poor. People are just thinking, you know, camping, you must be joking. Mm-hmm. right you know i'll phone to see how much a hotel is how much no forget it we're not going you know i mean it's kind of i think unfortunately that's what it's come down to uh-huh. um that's just the way it goes anyway um, um hello hello yes i was just i was just about mark timley i'm going camping next weekend oh bless you <laughs> do i really want to well it's if you prepare properly i think it's uh it's going to be all right well we last we last had our tent out at womad about five years ago so they start preparing properly shall we just take it and hope for the best or do you think i should put it up first i think you should just check that none of the the rotty bits have rotten yeah because there's not and make sure you got all the tent pegs and stuff because i went um i actually went away this weekend we managed to get a sort of last minute visit to a place called tenby which is in wales which is quite lovely or under ordinary circumstances um however under the deep black cloud that had been covering it for the last x weeks it wasn't quite so lovely although i did get in the sea on the sunday i'm very pleased to, to say and played some football on the beach so you know I, I feel like i've kind of done my bit but we stayed in a and b and it cost about as much as it would have cost us to fly to france as a family wow and uh and believe me it wasn't the lap of luxury <laughs> but they were very nice and very helpful but yes so i understand your trepidation about the camping mark yes but it'll be all right, honestly. But we went. The see, thing is, is there, it was supposed to be a family outing. My mother, my brother-in-law was going in his camper van, and they went camping. Uh, Jane said, "Come on, let's go." And I said, "There's absolutely no way I'm going camping," which is, you know, a very unadventurous thing to say. I must admit. But given the <laughs> recent form of the weather, I just thought, no chance. And I'm really glad. I, I think the three hundred pound premium for for staying inside was worth it on reflection. Rich, you just fly straight in and straight out. Yep, yep. Flew to Manchester and flew out of Manchester. Did they cop to you in? No, 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 no. Do you, do you get to go in a helicopter very often for the sort of sheet gigs, or is that a real rarity? Never. Never. Never in a, oh, never in a so sheet gig. You want to get it in the rider. Get it in the rider. Next well, time. Let me tell you. All right. Well, my one helicopter experience, I was in Hawaii with my wife for our 10th anniversary. We decided to take the helicopter tour of Kauai. It had to have been the windiest day short of a hurricane I've ever been in. And... It was, uh, 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 people were getting sick around me, it was, and it was hard not to. It was unbelievable. It did not whet my appetite for my next <laughs> helicopter experience. <laughs> no, fair enough. I can understand. Mark, I forgot to introduce you. I did talk to you, of course. Mark Tinley from uh, Cambridgeshire. Um, Mark Tinley, of course, myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley. Rich, you did actually... Um, put out a question about MS mic stereo mic techniques last week indeed and a very kind gentleman by the name of slough from sessions with slough basically said uh i, I will read it to you i meant to respond to rich's question in regarding MS and why a single figure of eight pattern mic is used as opposed to two cardioid mics facing opposite directions and this Good. is it one of the most desirable effects of the aspects of the ms technique apart from the flexibility of adjusting the stereo width after the recording is made has been made is its translation to mono since mono compatibility without phase issues relies on complete phase coherence between the left and the right side channels a figure of eight mic is used since its two sides are 180 degrees out of phase which is perfectly out of phase Uh, phase inverted on the right side the resulting combination of the two channels in a mono setting is a cancellation of the left and right sides leaving only the center or mid component from the cardioid mic it is not possible to achieve this kind of phase coherence with two cardioid mics uh, uh-huh. that's why that's Very what good. i said but you edited it out <laughs> yeah well <laughs> I, the thing was i wanted to make slough look much better you know and it worked my, my cunning ruse i've had this plan for weeks mark you don't know how long it's taken me to execute this no um well basically that's it there's good. the answer I appreciate that. Thank you, uh, Mark and Mr. Slough. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> so there we go. It's worth leaving a comment and it's worth asking questions. We've actually had a bit of dialogue and, um, and kind of two-directional stuff. So this is hopefully a good omen for things to come because, as we all know, podcast number 100 is coming and I'm, what I'm thinking about doing is trying to do a live stream of it on um, Stick'em. We'll stick a player up on the site and there'll be a little chat room that people can get involved in and hopefully we can figure out a way to sort of bring people in, people can ask questions and etc, etc. So that's a sort of hopefully a taster of things to come. 
So now on with the first topic, which was um, sound libraries on hard drives. And I'm sure, I'm pretty sure we kind of, one of or other of us has pondered why people don't sell sound libraries on hard drives or haven't done much of it. Now they've got the sound ideas on on hard drives. And um, I, I was looking, because I've got a few of the sound ideas ones. In fact, I'm going to play a little bit of beginning because um, just, well, why the hell not? That's right, folks. Fantastic. I've actually got because I've got this when I did I did a CD-ROM back um oh, back in the nineties sometime, and I got the General Six Thousand, which is a really big. It's like a twenty-five, twenty-six CD General Sound Effects Library. I got the Warner Brothers and the Hanna Barbera cartoon ones as well, and that's uh, just a taste of one of them. And and that, so they're starting to put them on on. Hard drives. What a good That's idea. A, why why never why never before? It's a great idea. As one who has just spent the better part of two weeks dealing in installation issues with an enormous orchestra library that shall remain nameless for the moment, um I would like have liked nothing better than to just purchase it on a hard drive from them and been done with it. There must be a service that, you know, you could just kind of, a third party that could say, don't worry, we'll install it onto drives for you. You know, all you'll need to do is this or that. I mean, that, there must, I mean, this has got to open the doors, surely. Or maybe is it an, a, a copy protection issue or something? At one point, um, maybe three or four years ago, the Vienna Symphonic Library was offering part of their collection, if not the entire thing, on hard drives. Because I believe at the time when they when they fully realized the orchestral cube, which I believe their initial full-grade product was, uh, it, it weighed in at almost 400 400 gigabytes i believe oh geez you don't want to install that from dvds do you i mean life's yeah, too short yeah and they sell it in a gigantic box you know in in subdivided sections and uh initially they were offering it on i you know a couple of hard drives but uh that option is no longer on their website so i don't know when when or if they discontinued it i suppose the thing is is if you ship them out and there's any kind of problem it's a major fag you know they have to kind of because there's hardware involved, it's not just sending out another set of discs and a new license. It's all kind of a bit more complicated, perhaps. But they, mm. might, I mean, didn't didn't you used to be able to get kind of major sample? You know, the big, you know, the Fairlights and the Synclavias and stuff. Did they come on, or do they come on di- on discs? I mean, nobody wants to spend <laughs> valuable production hours kind of feeding plastic coasters into uh, your computer. Do you? at the end they were selling Synclavier libraries on the glass worm platters that worked in the optical drives. Oh, I those remember immense, those guys, yeah. <laughs> those immense discs. But prior to that, they sold them on the five and a half or five and a quarter inch floppy discs in sets nice. that you got to load. But mind you, the, the data sizes were much smaller. Up, oh, I mean, true. the worm drives were a gigabyte per side, and that was seen as huge. I remember our Synclavier, I think the biggest hard drive I had on it was like, I don't know, 80 megabytes maybe or something. It was not, it was not you know, based around huge drives. And the most RAM you could get in the thing, I think, was 16 meg. Right. So what's the for, point? Yeah. Which cost you 16 grand. Anyone ever used any of the sound ideas stuff? I mean, Rich, you've worked in yeah. film, haven't you? Yeah, that- I've got it. I've got. I've worked in film, but that's not typically where I've used it. But um, I, I have a sizable sound ideas library, and I have used it. I don't have some of that movie stuff you were just talking about, and I'm betting those excerpts you played came from Hanna Barbera. Uh, yeah, they were because it had the uh, Fred Flintstone bit. Well, some of that it's brilliant. I mean, the thing is, is it comes with this really big fat book full of kind of descriptive terms of you know it's kind of rocks going down a wooden shoot. And yeah, I've just got this. I I would have loved to have been alive in the fifties and of of sort of employable age doing because I can just picture myself in a kind of not a white coat, maybe a brown coat with a lip a clipboard, kind of inventing ways of making these sounds. And it just sounded like so much fun. I mean, some of the sounds are just brilliant. And you know, the frying pan over the head, all the sort of classic classic ones. Excuse me a second. Not a good time to ring me up. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> apropos of that, there is a sound on an early Disney cartoon where Donald Duck is cleaning a clock tower and the spring, he kind of has this sort of like confrontation with the mainspring of the clock and the spring makes this incredibly musical and vocoder-like sound. Now, this has to have been not later than 1935 that this thing was done. This is an early uh, Disney uh, thing. Sure, and sure. I've been 
grappling mentally for years with how they did this. It must be the Sonobox. The Sonobox. We talked about that before a couple of times, haven't we? It's a sort did of. We? It's like a kind of talk box, isn't it? Early talk box kind of thing. There look, was up, a vi- look up the word Sonobox on YouTube and you'll find loads yeah, of videos. There's of a it. lot of videos. Dave Spears, you, you've done location stuff. Have you ever sort of worked with, dabbled with sound effects? I've got some of the Hollywood Edge stuff, which I always thought was superb. Uh huh. Um, but I just saw the price of this, actually, 12995 US dollars. It seems a bit excessive, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Considering you can buy it for... I mean, I know the sound, the general 6000 is still about 1000 quid. It's not cheap, you know, 1000 bucks or whatever. But, I mean, is it really worth paying? I don't know exactly what's on there. Do you get the complete collection? I didn't do enough research, clearly. But um, it seems to me... I mean, because I, I remember when I first got this, one of the biggest problems was I've got, like, you know, 45 CDs, and it's not... There's so many sound effects on each one that you've got the you've got 99 tracks on each one, but you've got maybe up to sort of 10 or 20 sub IDs in each of those tracks as well. And the first thing I couldn't find was a CD player that would read sub IDs because they don't always do that. You have to find the right CD that will do that. Then the next thing I couldn't find when I realised that that was an absolute pain in the ass was something that I could actually um, use in software that would re- use the CD drive off the computer to kind of grab particular sub-IDs. And there used to be a company, or still probably is a company, called Gallery Software, and they did something called CD Studio. And that was what I used to use. And it was it was okay, but it was, you know, the, with a one or two-speed CD drive, it was a bit hit or miss. And nowadays, if you put one of those Hollywood, you know, one of those CDs into your iTunes, it will go and get all the track listings. Yeah, amazing. Which is kind of, God, if I'd had that, it would have saved me weeks, because I did, I did a whole uh, load of kids' CD titles, and I had tons and tons of cartoon stuff and sound effects things to do, and it was it, just managing that sort of data. I mean, I suppose it's worth an extra premium to have it on drive, but that much? I don't know. It's a lot it says of here there's um, 600 CDs of audio, so I guess that's everything. It must be their entire sound library then, because that is a lot. Yeah, well, fair enough. Has anyone ever had to do any sound effects work? I know Dave Spears, you did. Didn't you do some recently for um, for with with uh, David Rich Evans? Yeah, yeah, for that um, uh, sea monsters. Yeah, yeah, I've had to do um, quite a lot of sort of sound design stuff for film. Brilliant, just brilliant fun because you get to use your completely wild and wacky imagination. Sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it can just work brilliantly. But I'll generally, you know, just crunch things through synths and plugins and stuff like that and layer stuff. So, I mean, what appears to be, you know, one sound is, a, you know, is made up of about sort of 12 different components. It's kind of, you want, that when you're kind of asked to do visual, I, I seem to actually, I seem to remember the most difficult thing was bloody footsteps, sinking footsteps that don't sound like they're the same four just going over and over again. Foley work, all that sort I of l- stuff. I love, I would love to have been a Foley artist. Really? Yeah, yeah me too. Absolutely. Mm. You look at those sound stages and stuff like that, and the way they, you know, just work with the movies, just, I could sit there all day and watch those guys. Cabbages and knives and... PJ, have you ever done any sound effects stuff? I have. Um, it's been a while, but I, I scored a picture that went to Sundance back in the late 90s and did all the sound design work for that. And back then, uh, I did it all old school, just doing field recordings of sounds and laying them back manually to picture. Right. Oh, well done. And so now you've got a giant... You should sell your sound library to uh, Sound Ideas. A, gi- a giant 15-minute sound library? Yeah, why the hell not? <laughs> but if you kind of do something really special to it, I don't know, make it kind of uh, 192K, 48-bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'll it'll be huge. Yeah, put it on a hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it on one of those little nano drives, one of those little pen drives. Yeah, why not? Mark, have you done... You, you, yeah, you describe yourself as a sound artist, so I'm kind of... I've been in, in doing all of the sounds for the Duran Duran Second Life album. You're still, you're still doing it? Still doing yes. it? Yes. <laughs> they, might, they might release it soon. So they want a reputation, representation of the entire sound output of humankind or something? Um, mm, not not no. quite. <laughs> I wish, but no. I mean, and the other thing that's really, really bugging me now is that they've started putting a lot of the sound in the... And when you go and touch on some of the events that are supposed to have sounds, something happens visually, and you go, I'm sure that's meant to have a sound with that. So you click it again, and then something happens visually with the sound the second time. Oh, no, really? The sound so- seems to lag in terms of, like, you know, whoever whoever programmed the grid obviously has decided that sound's not as important as visual, and that all the visual elements have to load before the sound, which I just think is daft. 
Well, so it's, mm, I suppose it's know. more immediate. But then the thing is, it's tough to invoice when you're going, yeah, see, I've done it all. And they go, what? I can't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, just wait. Try it again. Now you can hear it. Well, they don't seem bothered by it, which it's really annoying me, but nobody seems to want to do anything about it. You could force preload sounds to, to um, avatars, but... Right. Said, I, haven't know, been on, I haven't been on Second Life for ages because it, it, it was such a black hole of time. I just thought, I can't. I just can't. It's but, terrible, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, with a, I mean, with a three year old that's interested in it sitting on your shoulder, going, "No, Dad, walk into the river," right? And who throws a tantrum every time I try and switch it off? It makes it impossible to work in it. Actually, to be honest, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, testing, so you have to spend twice as long as anybody. As, oh, yeah. But as a complete aside, one thing I discovered yesterday, and I actually bought for six hundred Linden dollars, was uh, the Tai Chi moves. So I can now do Tai Chi in Second Life, which means. I don't have to bother to do it in real life. <laughs> 600 Linden dollars sounds like an awful lot of money. Isn't that, roughly equivalent, to, isn't that roughly equivalent to about um, 150 quid? Or no. $150? Isn't it four? Is no. It, no? I don't know what the exchange rate is. Nor do I, actually. Well, it's enough to make you weep. You see where I'm going with this? Oh. <laughs> Every week, Jane, um, my partner, is kind of doing something or something that triggers an idea and she triggered the she's literally reading our local newspaper which is you know got a catchment of about twenty thousand people and there's some pictures of some school children who'd won a prize for i don't know something or other and there was just a picture of them she just started crying and i just thought it was hilarious really because i can't really relate to that level of weeping even though now since i've had a child and looked after a child I weep at all the corniest points in in all the Disney movies and everything. I just can't help myself, and it's really, really weird. But <clears throat> it made me sort of wonder about music that kind of has that really sort of visceral, emotional feel. Because I know that that a lot a lot of people it triggers kind of very strong emotions in people. So I said, but having intellectualized it, I'm just sort of calling this one music that makes you cry. And uh, this is the first one for me that uh, made me cry. I think you'll know what I'm talking about. Shelby has gone where the good dog is gone, and no more with old Shelby. I'm welling up, guys. <laughs> but if dogs have a heaven, there's one thing I know old Shepherd. I remember when I was about, I think I was about 11 or 12 and I got Elvis 40 greatest hits and that was on it. And it made me cry. I was just sort of so astonished. And that's the first thing I remember that did. And uh, what I really like about that record is as well is the backing vocals that sound like, you know, when you kind of see cartoons and there's a kind of chorus of dogs singing, (laughs) that's those guys, you know, they, I think they're hamming it up to sound like dogs because it's a really cheesy song. Let's face it. So that's my, um, well, it's not really the cat out of the bag is it's the dog that's out of the bag. (laughs) <laughs> or rather in the bag and in the river who's gonna go first then i could could you go on Rick? i've uh it's gonna be very strange because neither of these is a particularly romantic or reflective tune but two songs that have been known to bring me to tears are won't get fooled again by the who uh-huh and uh fortress around your heart by sting oh oh right, interesting how come the who? Because it's not a particularly em- emotional sort of chord sequ- chord progression or anything like that. Is it just memories, or is it just a kind of inexplicable thing? It's something about how perfectly constructed it is as a song, and the way the lyric matches the melody and everything. There's just something about it that uh, makes its case in a very compelling way to me. Tears of and joy. I, I guess. Yeah, it's not sadness in in either case really i'm not quite sure what it is it's like same with movies it's not always a sad movie that makes me cry poignant i guess is what what pushes me over that little emotional ledge should get niall to work it into the set somewhere then you can have a weepy moment because it's all very up (laughs) which is great (laughs) that's what we need in the show (laughs) a weepy moment (laughs) Um, uh, there were a couple others i'd like to suggest at the moment if i'm not going to be stepping on anybody's toes but um i remember the um 1990s uh 
Nothing compares to you. The Prince song was Sinead O'Connor. The video of that, particularly where it's just a single shot of her and she just cries at the end of it. It's kind of, it's one of the most sort of powerful visual combinations of sort of music and visuals I can remember. And I remember it was, it you know, it's something to do with the fact that she had a very complicated um, relationship with her mum. Anyway, who wants to go next? See, I think I'll go next because I think that that's the key. Personally, the combination of visuals and music. I don't think there's really any music that would get me crying on its own, right? Or not that I've encountered thus far. The closest would probably be Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata because it, that has an enormous amount of emotion yeah. for me, and possibly the back one that that those. Uh, English girls rapped over, whose name I can't remember. Sugar Babes. Did right. they rap over some pit bark thing? I don't know, actually. I'll have to dig it out. Or maybe it wasn't. So it's class- classical music's more emotive for you, more emotional for you, then, Yeah, but I think, I mean, anything... For me, it's always actors and movies. So, I mean, and there's four actors, really, that do it for me. And that's Robert De Niro. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins. Right. Um, Sean Connery. Really? Yeah. Oh, yes, Sean Connery, of course. I was thinking you think I'd... Roger Moore for a minute. How on earth would that... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Cry with laughter, perhaps. Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Timothy Dalton. Uh, I've forgotten who the other one is. Oh, sorry. Three, then. Three. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, even in the world's fastest Indian, Anthony Hopkins is just so brilliant. Right. So brilliant and so believable. That's when it gets me. Right, okay, when it gets you like that. The other the other one is a film called Fearless, and I've forgotten what the name of the actor is in it. That's Jeff Bridges. Yeah, well, I don't think it's necessarily him. Then. I've seen him in other things, and it didn't work. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, the plot of that film, but the way the music moves in that film and the music's designed to go with the imagery just re- really, really gets to me. And the whole idea that this guy's been in this plane crash and survived, and mm. it's completely... You know, he has no fear at all for most of that movie, and it's just there's something about that as well that really gets me. Oh, interesting. So it's uh, the accompaniment kind of helps to reinf- reiterate what the music, or the music is trying to re- reiterate the extra emotion, and that just tips you over. Yeah. And when I find and myself in- crying, I quite often go, what did they do there? What did they do? What were the chords? And I occasionally will go back and look and see if I can work out what the chord structure was, oh. but I don't really understand music enough to know what you know i think it, i think there's a certain uh, progression that you go through and then you end in minor probably yeah i'm sure there's probably there must be ways to do it pj you were you were trying to hop in there what's uh, what were you you have to conf- you have to fess up first okay um <laughs> the i was just going to mention that the film score for fearless was was actually goretzky's third symphony it's a uh, oh gorecki the the uh, polish guy Ah, yeah. Modern, modern composer. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that it's a, yeah, that's a, a tear-jerking piece of music, and it's, it's used to great effect in that film. I completely agree. Um, one uh, recent experience was I went to see Dave Brubeck's quartet um, at the end of May, and he got up and started to play um, some very ethereal chords. And what we, what he was doing was um, what jazz guys call counterfacting. He was taking the chord progression to somewhere over the rainbow and making it into a different piece of music. And then right. his uh, flute player, Paul Desmond, got up and started to play the melody of somewhere over the rainbow over this ethereal backdrop. And it... it immediately tears started just set you off just set me off yeah classical music seems to be kind of quite a common you know it has a lot of emotional content but i mean it's incredibly well crafted and the musicians who generally write it you know or the composers write it are very very skilled and understand this sort of thing the other people that seem to be able to do it are people who play hammond organ extremely well for me that kind of when they just do that kind of slow gospel progression it just get you know it, it really starts to get a lump in my throat dave spears you have been very quiet you're not you're not you're not sobbing into your hanky are you yeah over old shep yeah well i know it's you know i can understand i'm with you there all the way uh 
There are a few songs that can do it for me. Agadoo by Black Lace. That's usually a good one. <laughs> Anything by Madonna. No, um... Ah, uh, blimey. <laughs> There's been a few records that I've contributed to and never been credited for. They can make me cry with rage. Yeah. Um, no, there's uh, there's a couple of tracks. There's a Blue Nile track called Easter Parade. That'll do it for me. Another one of theirs called Family Knife. That'll do it for me. There's actually an Underworld track called To Heal and Restore, which uh, Rick recorded his dad talking which uh, I think is a magnificent piece of music, and it was used for the soundtrack of Sunshine. You know, the music was, and then he put these vocals over the top. And it's just talking. That'll move me. And uh, funnily enough, this morning I listened to um, Herbie Hancock's Edith and the Kingpin with, can you believe it, Tina Turner. And I got I sort of welled up a little bit when listening to that because I think it's a magnificent song. Hmm. So okay. there you go. Okay, that's quite a selection. Um there was the other thing um that i listened to and i was kind of researching this trying to find you know what what was the general thought and i came across um that uh, last one from johnny cash the uh, hurt by written by trent reznor and that is just mm. that's really tough to listen to and not you know feel i mean i feel emotional talking about it now because it, it's such a it's like such a focus of of every i mean it's very it's quite schmaltzy in a sort of um slightly undergroundy kind of way but i mean it's just deeply deeply kind of meaningful particularly as johnny cash is singing it it's just it's really and and you know he was kind of about to die wasn't he then really he sang it what several months before he actually passed away i mean it's pretty pretty close to the end and it's almost like this sort of yeah that was really powerful and the video is just really strong as well and recent times that's what got me turned on to nine inch nails actually that track really tra- that that track yeah because it is it's a it's really well, you know, I mean, I don't know. I still haven't listened to any other Nine Inch Nails, but that is a quality piece of sort of emo- emotional songwriting. And just, I mean, he must, well, I wonder if he wrote it first and thought Johnny would be good for this or thought I really want to write a song for Johnny because either way, you know, imagine writing it and think, God, I wonder if, you know, this would just be the perfect. And then actually seeing it come together and having the guy sing it and see what it did to the song must have been just such a powerfully emotional time. I mean, Rich, you must get this as well. I mean, recording singers, sometimes when people do a performance that makes you, you almost want to cry because it's so beautiful. Sometimes, I, I mean... I- I have done so. I, I'm I'm a fairly weepy guy at certain times, and I'm not even sure why. Um, but yeah, um, things that are sentimental. If I see two musicians who or artists who haven't worked together come back together, and I can feel the thing between them, I can get a little choked up about it. If I'm recording a particularly effective uh, player or singer, and just uh, take a step back from the whole process and say, wow, dig this. It's this person doing that. And I'm sitting here and I get, I get overwhelmed by the whole event sometimes. And, uh, yeah, so it could be a singer, could be even a player. I would say I totally agree with that. The first time my brother Adam played me killer, he kind of came and I said, listen to this. What do you think of this? And he put it on and I had a really strong, overwhelming feeling. And for me, when that happens to me, that generally indicates that it's going to go like, well, I turned around to him and said, Adam, that's going to be a number one. It's brilliant. And it was. So I don't, mm. I'm, you know, I think that's usually my indicator that something is so absolutely brilliant that it's going to do really, really well. It's funny, isn't that visceral quality? Not everyone listens to me. Yeah, well, no, no. you should be an A and R. Just take maybe. it to the weeping oracle. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Nick. Yeah. Can I make a quick correction here? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> the flute player for Dave Brubeck's quartet right now isn't Paul Desmond. That's in his original quartet. It's Bobby ah. Militello. Oh, uh, okay. Right now. Yeah, I just thought I'd let you know that. Oh, okay. But <clears throat> I, I was remembering the very first. Uh, music that i can remember making me cry was when uh i came when i got to the age that i realized that the the beatles were no longer a band and listening to the second side of of abbey road uh could bring me to tears when i was a when i was a young kid Mm. was it when she came in through the bathroom window (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, I think uh, a little further on, uh, and probably in the because end, uh, uh, in the end is great too, and because and, could, and because be, is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, I wish I knew what it was. Um, but sometimes, you know, when I was working with Golfrat more, you know, and Alison would just come in and sing. Sometimes that would do it. You know, you just think, wow, mm-hmm. that is 
that's just amazing. And, and yeah, she's got a cracking voice. There, hasn't she? I don't know if anybody saw this. I mean, I hate to kind of go on about them because just, you know, it seems like I'm being all nepotistic, but they, they did a, a late show performance, which is in the UK. So it would only be Dave and Mark who may have seen this. And she did a performance on that. It was quite recently. It was a couple of weeks ago. Culture show. I saw it. It yeah. was just spellbinding. I mean, uh, and you know, it's, it's not often that they can pull it off live because it's, there's all sorts of things that work on, you know, that don't work or do work. I mean, I think, you know, when you get that moment, you just go crikey, that's really bang on. And she, she sang on that one and it was really, really amazing. And that was, that was kind of like, wow, that is priceless. That was very good. I had three emails immediately after that performance, each asking what was the synth that Will was using? Because it looked like a 101, but actually it had such a beefy sound that it must have been something else. <laughs> um, I think he uses a multi-moog sometimes live. Did it look like that? I'd have to check it out. I, it, it may well have been the OB. Sonic Talk. Sponsored by Yamaha Music Production. Producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles. Accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos. The versatile motif range of music production synthesizers. And the latest N-Series digital mixing studios. Featuring the cleanest signal pump and full Cubase AI4 integration www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk psychedelic furs they're pretty in pink um i don't know uh, i'm probably just of the age when that means an awful lot to me because uh, i would have been about 12 or 14 when uh, molly ringwald was in the film pretty in pink and she was kind of the bit of a teenage fantasy <laughs> at the time um but i wasn't really kind of um, that into psychedelic furs and then i listened to that and kind of i remember it used to be at nightclubs and stuff when i was when i started doing live sound and things and um I just thought I haven't really paid them much attention. And I always thought they were an LA band because they had that real kind of look and sound to them. But they weren't. They're English. I used to be in a band with Richard Butler. Really? Not that not that Richard Butler, though. A different one. <laughs> <laughs> hey! Never mind. <laughs> Still, it made, it's, a good, it's a good conversation. Is it a stopper or a starter? I'm not sure. Let's hope it's a starter. He, he sounded like he'd do with his, a couple of cough sweets, though, didn't he, in that one? They he worked him. Did, though, they worked they? him. No, but that one they really, really. Over, that is, it sounds like they made him sing that again and again and again and again, or left him outside in the rain for a bit, you know, because he really had a, a. I mean, it was overly husky. Um, but they were, again, one of these bands that are kind of oh, they they sort of sprung a whole genre of of kind of um, of music, and yet when you look back at their chart success, it was actually not very impressive, and it's just sort of weird how bands like that can just kind of. You know, you, you'd think back and you think they were massive, and they weren't actually that massive. Funny. And also, but also looking at him, it's like, is he influenced by David Bowie or what? I mean, come on, that's just... Dave, were they... I, I guess you were more of a sort of soul and funk boy. Maybe they weren't your thing, but I can imagine you maybe uh, identify with the haircut. I don't know. Do you know, I know nothing about this band at all. Really? I did, I, yeah, no, I kind of, you know, did a little bit of research before the gig, and there, I, I just know nothing about them. He did an album in uh, 2006, which was um, with a guy called John Carrin, who I know via The Who and Pink Floyd and stuff, and that's about the only connection. I don't know anything. I think they're local to the, the area around here, in the Bath area. There's one or two of them that live around here. I know Amanda is the keyboard player who is, if anyone saw our on tour with Susie Sue. She was the keyboard player in the band, and she used to play. She was in um, Psychedelic Furs from you know the the later iteration because they're now they're they're on the road, they're formed, they're touring. Which Butler is in them, and there's a couple of the members. 
You see, you, are you working on that sound effects library? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that would come out. No, You're come obviously on, working me, a tell class. Tell me it was a synth patch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> they started um, in the late 70s, 77, came out of the sort of punk thing, um, had various sort of names. Um, they split up in the 1990s, and then they reformed in the in 2000, and they've still been going. Anyone else know anything about them? Did, Rich, were they kind of, I suppose they would have been around while you were in the studio kind of working in your professional career. Beginning. True. True. Uh, the only thing I ever knew about psychedelic furs was that they worked with Todd Rundgren at one point, uh, of whom I was a fan. And, uh, so that, but I'd never heard it. And I don't know if I've ever heard much of what they've done. So the whole thing kind of flew past me. Okay. Well, I'm going to hit you with some more just cause, um, I should. Good. You must know this one. This was a massive hit, I think, in America. I mean, they're kings of the sort of the the anthemic riff, weren't they? There, yeah. God, blimey, it's all there. They had a song called Heartbeat, didn't they? With a really good kick drum in it. Oh, I didn't find a, I didn't find an MP3 for that one, but yes, it does ring a bell. PJ, I'm suspecting that maybe um, they might have influenced your very early years at high school, or was it a bit too early for that? Uh, a little bit too early for that for me, but um, I, the only. I, I I did know that last song, but I did I never knew who who did that that song. But uh, pretty and pretty and pink, yeah. Um, that soundtrack was flying around when I got into high school. That was huge. I think it was uh, you know at the time the biggest selling soundtrack. You know, yeah. for, for ages, ages. And ages, it had ages. Uh, the psychedelic furs and OMD, and uh, I think um, who else made it onto that soundtrack? Gosh, sure. I remember but, now. Was it? Uh... Wasn't Joe Jackson, was it? Maybe Joe Jackson was on there. Well, soundtrack's just like Mr. 80s, isn't it? Suzanne Vega, even, Mick. Really? And Good Lord. Joe Jackson. Yeah. The other, the other thing that they're really like for me is Lou Reed or Velvet Underground. Lots of their riffs are really sort of that kind of vein. Oh, so they're sort of a progression of that in the same way that Susie and the Banshees are a progression of that. Like right, Lou Reed with, um, with non-linear reverb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in america it's the what is it the, not the primaries it's the conference season isn't it and all of that business about announcing who's your running mate and all of that stuff obama's been grabbing the headlines and um there was a a, a piece on um cheryl crow who's apparently you know she she's she's kind of taken it upon herself to kind of encourage people to vote she's offering a free download of her politically charged tune gasoline which i'm not familiar with i suppose i should have grabbed an mp3 of that to anyone who signs who logs onto the rock the vote website or uh, anyone on the group's mailing list and also the first fifty thousand people who register three friends to vote will get a free copy of her new album detours so she's kind of using marketing i mean it's it's non-denominational as far as i can tell although i think is she a democrat is that right rich i'm not familiar with her politics it seems like she is i don't know her but it seems like she is. But it's sort of fairly non-denominational politically, isn't it? And she's just sort of encouraging people to vote. Because, I mean, it's not just the state in the States. It's, it's been the case all over in the sort of more mature democracies that basically people aren't interested in politics. They don't trust politicians. And, you know, the kids would rather um, play Nintendo, basically. So uh, this is a kind of way. And it just got me thinking about, you know, politics and music and all of that kind of stuff. And I know they're generally, it's all quite ill-advised and obviously there's the obama girls who've uh, done the big thing on the um on youtube by getting kind of lots of lots of votes and lots of press for the obama campaign and i just wondered if anybody had any um perhaps any any embarrassing moments where music and politics have clashed and and neither have fared well well i can come close to that <laughs> i can't say they didn't fare well <laughs> okay um in 1992 
I uh, played a gig with the B-52s, uh, sort of a mashed-up version of the B-52s, uh, in, uh, in, a, in support of a gentleman named Jerry Brown, who had a sort of minor candidacy for the presidency of the United States and was a very well-known politician from the Pacific North, Northern California, from uh-huh. Oakland and San Francisco area. And uh, Governor Brown, who was also the governor of California at one point, and Governor Brown and I did not share our uh, political basis very much, and I sort of uh, made a point of assuring them that this would not in any way affect our gig, <laughs> having <laughs> me do it, you know, even though that we don't necessarily agree politically. And uh, actually, I have friends who are currently at the Democrat convention playing in that band that plays in between the various things that happen. Um but no, there was no bad result from any of it, and there was no problem. There are a number of semi-humorous anecdotes unrelated to the political theme of this discussion. <laughs> but uh, but and and uh, I guess most notable was that the band included both Don Was on bass guitar and Nile Rogers on guitar, and uh, one of the vocalists in the band was uh, actress Kim Basinger. Oh wow, cool! Uh, so it was quite an interesting band, and I played keyboards, and uh, Sterling Campbell played drums, and you had Keith, Kate, and Fred from the B fifty twos, and it was uh, big fun. That actually. sounds cool. I, I mean, I think it's it must be very difficult, kind of, because obviously creative people often have strong views, you know, either way, you know, politics or or just generally, but it seems to be the the unwritten rule to kind of keep your mouth shut really and not kind of preach politics to anybody you know you can say what you feel but it's you know not something that you tend to kind of put lyrically or do you know what i mean it's it's sort of something that you keep out of politics really some do some do some don't i just yeah. remember i remember um the other the other one was the clinton saxophone um moment that was a bit excruciating as well i can't remember whether he was any good i, I expect he probably didn't have much time to practice being he, a busy he was okay was he, he was okay he wasn't great but it's always fun probably to had a good people- tonguing technique mind <laughs> <Ka-ching>! <laughs> oh <laughs> sorry about that it's always could, fun it's that. always fun to see celebrities from other fields dabble you know showing their musical skills and quite often you know sometimes you find guys who can really play like uh Actor Dudley Moore or Jeff Goldblum can both play the heck out of the piano. I mean, just like crazy they can play. And, and every now and again, you find somebody who is obviously very much a musician. So, Dave, you said you had a toe curler. Yes. Things can only get better. Ah, uh, yes. What were they called? D-Ream. D-Ream. That's right. Were they a Scottish kind of pop house act, weren't they? Yes, I was... Uh, I... Uh was asked to audition for them for a tour, uh, supporting Take That, funnily enough. And, uh, yeah, the songs were pretty toe-curlingly, but the best bit was seeing John Prescott trying to sort of tap his way through it after this celebration and the win of the Labour Party, wasn't it? But, I mean, Tony, you know, thought he was a bit of a guitar player as well, so... Oh, yes, Blair, of course. I remember Blair with a Stratocaster somewhere. What did he do? Mm. I can't remember uh, now. I, I, I think probably erased it from my mind. Yeah, brilliant. But yes, the pinnacle of the UK music and politics, meeting of minds. Forget Red Wedge. Red Wedge, 1986. Um, sort of Billy Bragg, who's a political singer-songwriter in the UK, has a, you know, a bit of a shouty voice, but sort of loved from his kind of... He's a, a lefty singer about union stuff, you know. He, he, they started a kind of tour, which was, again, to encourage people to vote. I mean, obviously, to encourage to people to vote Labour basically. And it was um, Paul Weller, the Star Council, Communars, um, Jerry Dammers, who's the guy, the main guy from um, the specials, Madness, Prefab Spout, Tom Robinson, Tron Robinson, Lloyd Cole and the Smiths along the way. And they did a sort of tour of trying to get that. And I just remember it being a little bit, it w- just didn't feel quite right. I know, PJ, did you ever kind of find music being politicised around you that you were? Uh, no, fortunately not. Yeah. Don't you, don't you think that it's actually a reasonably powerful medium because as a kid, if, if John Lydon told me to vote for X party, I'd probably have just done it, you know, as a kind of 18 year old. As, as a kid, I seem to remember rock against racism. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. that. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember getting yeah. thrown out of school cause I had a badge saying Pogo on a Nazi. They didn't, they didn't <laughs> like it. it. The anti-Nazi league. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I actually respect the Cheryl Crow approach if it's... If oh, totally. I mean, she, it, like I say, it's fairly agnostic, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's known it, it, what her persuasion exactly. is, but it's not all about that. Yeah, because I think especially um, 
the Democrats, there's there's been some talk about the fact that their constituency or the younger constituency that uh, supported Obama in the primaries is the demographic that usually doesn't turn up at the polls. So hopefully, you know, hopefully she'll be able to convince some of those folks on both sides of the aisle to to show up. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it's about engagement, I suppose, isn't it? And kind of because it's the same here. People just aren't interested because nobody trusts anybody anymore because it's just, you know. It's all such a weird kind of system. It's still really important to exercise your vote. You know, there are people in countries who die for the right. Yep. Absolutely. I think we can all here, concur here. on that. Yep. Yes. And vote. <laughs> Go vote. So, kids, go vote now. Hey, what do you think? I feel <laughs> like I've done me. some sort of public service. <laughs> on that sort of fairly uplifting and high note, you know, after our weepy, weepy topic, I think that's kind of... I think that's a good time to end. Um, not not um, only because it's also ten past five and my ticket runs out and I got a dash for the car. But guys, <laughs> uh, thank you ever so much for joining me this week. A uh, rather rambling set of topics, I agree, but I'll I'll try and do better. I promise. But thank you for joining me, Dave Spears from GeForceSoftware dot com. Thank you, and Mr. Mark Tinley from Mark Tinley MySpace dot com forward slash Mark Tinley. God, I can't think of anything to say. That's all right. <laughs> I'm got any... stuck again. I haven't done that for about 60 episodes, have I? I'm going to try my Lord thing out. I'm going to send off all the paperwork to, to the passport office now and see if I can actually get it in my passport. Go so to should, it. Should Brilliant. be interesting. Because once it's in my passport, then nobody can really say, well, you're not really a Lord, can they? Well, I suppose not. <laughs> You got to have it put on your dental records. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dental records aren't as centralized here as they are in America, though. Here, we're going off topic, way off topic. That's true, and they're I, not. Every time I go to the dentist, they, set, they invent a new set of records for me, and they never go to the old dentist for the old ones. And I well, said, all oh, I've got to do is to look, haven't I? old information. He said, no, I'm just going to look at your teeth. I don't need to do that. They right. don't change very often, mostly teeth, do they? Hopefully. No. no. Well, the number yeah. of fillings and everything. Unless you take them out of an evening, of course. Anyway, <laughs> let's not go there. Rich Hilton, fresh back from, from um, not so sunny but creamy cream fields where you played a blinder of a gig. Uh, thank you for joining us, and I hope you're, um, you get time to sit down and enjoy a bit of home time for a bit. I'm enjoying home time right now, and uh, I had a great time today and at Greenfields. MySpace.com for, forward slash Hiltonius for rich hilton stuff and pj tracy from minneapolis thank you very much for getting up so early and um taking time out to be with us once again my pleasure Nick. thank you for having me and uh, i think we're going to post one or two if, if that's okay rich can we post the um the pictures from the show because we have a picture of a man with a banner unfurled <laughs> from the creamfields concert and i just feel so excited i'd be honored i'd be honored if you did brilliant i'll put it up on the on the show notes okay you may crop it you may crop it any way you like um well i might zoom <laughs> we'll see i'll see what's there <laughs> yes but will it be on dave is the question <laughs> yeah. no no <laughs> anyway guys thank you very much for joining me once again and that was sonic talk number 96 okay. oh just in time and it sounds like the film's finished <laughs> hey old shelby has gone where the good dog is gone And no more with old Shark Will I roam But if dogs have a heaven 